Right, so, Father God, we lift up tonight, we lift up this sermon. Lord, I pray, y'all just agree with me, I pray, Lord, the blood of Jesus be over this word tonight. And everyone involved in this tonight, this place, this time, every person is going to hear, we put this under the blood of Jesus. Lord, we bind away anything of the enemy. Lord, I ask you to let your Holy Spirit just brood over this word. And Lord, I pray that everyone will be captivated and locked into the word. And as you speak through me, your words of life and truth, that it'll go forth like light shining into dark places and dispelling the darkness and bringing truth and revelation. Let it be as living seeds of truth that's sown into good fertile soil and in lives that will be watered. And this, these uh, seeds of truth will take root, grow and produce a hundredfold harvest. Lord, we bind the enemy away from the seed of the word. It will not, the enemy will not be as birds that steal the seed. We bind that. And it will not be as it's sown on the rocky soil, because I pray that people's hearts and minds will be good soil. And Lord, that the Spirit of God will water that seed, and it will bring forth the harvest. Lord, I pray your word will go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. Lord, we bless it and speak it forth and ask for a mighty anointing on this word tonight. And Lord, let the angels of heaven be released on assignment to make sure this word goes forth in every way. It goes among the nations, and everything's accomplished with it. That's your will to be done. Let the winds of the breath of heaven blow and drive this word everywhere it's supposed to go. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this is a little bit different word for me tonight, but I feel like you guys will get a lot out of it. All right, Jude, verse 3. It says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I feel compelled to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Everybody say, contend for the faith. faith. That's what this sermon's about tonight, contending for the faith. Acts 20, verses 29 through 30, Savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves, Christians... Okay, it's what it's talking about, Christians. Men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. Everybody say savage wolves. wolves. The Apostle Paul predicted that. That among the Christians, there would be savage wolves that would come in and not spare the flock, but try to draw people away unto themselves. And it was a destructive thing. And then 1 Timothy 4.1, the Apostle Paul prophesied that in the last days... He said, the Holy Spirit clearly says that in the latter times, and we're living in the latter times, that some will abandon the faith and follow what? Deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Now, there are teachings out there that are doctrines of demons. And it's drawing people away from Christ. It's drawing people away from the Word of God. So that's where I'm coming from today. Now, I want to say something up front. I want everybody to hear me real good about this. Those that are listening online or those that are going to hear this, please hear my heart and just take a moment to really focus in on what I'm saying. In times past, there have been people that have been used of the devil that have been critics of revival. Basically, every ministry out there has critics. Okay? I mean, you got even the most basic. We've got ministries that are awesome, powerful. Focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ, like, for example, Ray Comfort and Kirk Cameron, these guys with the way of the master, but they've got their critics. I mean, you've got worship ministries, they've got their critics. You've got all these different ministries out there. The critics, those that, that are fault-finding, 
they're religious, they're divisive, they're always trying to find some kind of criticism to tear down and destroy. Unfortunately, the devil has had those people and has used them in times past. Some of those that have been critics of revival have actually blasphemed the Spirit of God. They've called the Holy Spirit a demon, and they've called the gifts of the Spirit demonic workings. And they've been used of the devil to sow a lot of discord and to turn people away from revival. And it accomplished a lot. But let me say this, something else that it accomplished, unfortunately, is that whenever people get up and they start sounding the alarm now, because there's been so much of this criticism and these, um, the, really they're wolves in sheep's clothing, but it's those that were calling everybody else false prophets, false teachers, wolves in sheep's clothing, that were good people. But unfortunately, those people that have been doing that for years, now you've got a generation coming up that whenever somebody gets up and says there really is a wolf, there really is some false teaching, there really is some, some false prophets, things like that. There are people out there that will turn that off. They won't even listen because they automatically associate that with all the other junk out there. You see what I'm saying? The devil has sown mass deception and mass confusion. I hope you guys hear my heart about that. Because tonight I'm not coming from a critical point of view. I'm not going to name names. I could do that. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm not going to call out specific ministries by name or anything like that. I love them. I pray for them. But there's some things out there that are demonic. And I'm going to deal with that tonight. It's evil. It's, it's heretical. And it's destroying lives. So please hear my heart. And don't get a knee-jerk reaction. I know there's been people in times past that have been used to the devil to divide. But that's not where I'm coming from. And let me tell you, in these last days, there better be voices. There better be voices like somebody like a Steve Hill that wrote that book uh, about spiritual avalanche. There better be voices like that. There better be people that are calling it like it is and that are, that are trying to speak out a warning to Christians to not get sucked into stuff. And that's kind of where I'm coming from. So let me read you some things up front. This is Billy Graham. He said, we in the church have failed to remind this generation that while God is love, he also has the capacity to hate. He hates sin, and he will judge it with the fierceness of his wrath. This generation is schooled in the teaching about an indulgent, soft-hearted God whose judgments are uncertain, who coddles those who break his commandments. This generation finds it difficult to believe that God hates sin. I tell you that God hates sin. Just as a father hates a rattlesnake that threatens the safety of his child. God loathes the evil and the diabolical forces that would pull people down to a godless eternity. Just as a mother hates a venomous spider that is found playing on the soft warm flesh of her little baby. It is his love for man, his compassion for the human race that prompts God to hate sin with such a vengeance. He gave heaven's finest that we might have the best. He loathes with an holy abhorrence anything that would hinder our being reconciled to him. That's Billy Graham. God is love, but he also has the capacity to hate, and he hates sin. And we've got to understand that God does deeply love the sinner and died for them, but he hates the sin. 
And just because you love the person, you can never condone their sin. I don't care who it is. This is from Steve Hill. I'm going to read this. And I'm going to paint, Steve does a great job here, painting a picture of the modern church. Just hear me as I read this, okay? As a, as a church, how attractive do we have to be? As saints search for the perfect church, let me just stop there, there's no such thing. Okay, so let's keep going. As saints search for the perfect church, which is the perfect church will be heaven. That's what it'd be, seriously. It will be heaven. When we're, when we're all dead and we're with Jesus in heaven, that'll be the perfect church. Until then, there's not one. So quit having these unrealistic expectations. Okay? Today's pastor is under tremendous pressure to cater more and more to picky parishioners. Facing declining attendance and dwindling bank accounts, the spiritual leader comes to the conclusion that much prayer is not the only answer to his woes. If he's going to be successful, he must look to other, others whom have found the success he feels has eluded him. So he signs up for the latest conference to put on the local, I'm sorry, by the local megachurch in hopes of learning the techniques that are going to guarantee to be successful. He attends as many workshops and sessions as he can, taking careful notes of everything. It doesn't take long for the pastor to realize that the teaching center more on sound business practices rather than on spiritual biblical principles. Of course, everything is packaged with just the right amount of religious talk to give it the pretense of sounding spiritual, but the core of the teaching is born out of the soul. Deep in his spirit, he senses something is off, but quickly rationalizes, rationalizes it away believing that the end justifies the means. He tells himself, well, we will reach more people, win more souls, and do more for the community. Valid desires, no doubt. The temptation has reached a feverish pitch. Now he will finish in the flesh what he once started in the spirit. The pastor comes home and immediately gets to work implementing the new programs and the philosophies that he acquired. It's as easy as one, two, three. Set the atmosphere, provide ample amenities, and adjust the message. One of the teachings at the local conference was to never let the Sunday morning crowd know what you believe. I'm going to go slow tonight because you guys, I'm going to see mouths drop, but I want it to really sink in. There's going to be people hearing this all over the world. And this is going to expose some things that's going on out there you need to hear. Brother Steve keeps going right here. Now let's complete our picture of the modern day church. The pastor and his associates waste no time getting to work on creating a proper atmosphere. Now we're not talking about the atmosphere of heaven. We're talking about the, the decor, okay? Guests must be welcomed with a warm, friendly environment that sets them at ease. Religious items must go. So that seekers are not immediately turned off by offensive images. For example, a portrait of Jesus on the cross is taken down and replaced with abstract art. Counters that once showcased missions and evangelism are thrown out and made room for bistro tables to serve coffee. A few coats of paint, new furnishings, and soon the entrance of the church rivals the local coffee house. Members are ecstatic as now they can fill up on tasty pastries and sip cappuccinos from the comfort of their um, easy chair before, during, and after service. The foyer was just the first step to setting the right atmosphere. The worship team is now coached to the next level. The service is rehearsed over and over and over several times to nail down every second so as to not waste a moment. 
The worship experience might kick off with a secular song right off the pop charts. Yes, that happens. This is supposed to, to bring the congregation to, together and set a tone for the rest of the service, which no doubt it does set a tone for the rest of the service. Pastors and teachers worldwide have succumbed to heretical teachings. This is Steve Hill speaking. I agree with him 100%. Pastors and teachers worldwide have succumbed to heretical teachings, including universal reconciliation, the deification of man, challenging the validity of God's word, including his judgments, and even lifting any boundaries. Claiming his amazing grace is actually amazing freedom. They teach you are free to live according to your own desires. One pastor recently gave a message in tongues and interpreted it, which never happens in his church. The church was packed on Sunday morning. After giving the interpretation, he apologized for drifting away from their calling as a Pentecostal church because they would gotten away from it. And so they haven't had any type of gift of the Spirit in ages. So here he is now for the first time and who knows how long he gives a message in tongues, interprets it, and then apologizes to the church that they haven't had more of that. And he said that after apologizing, he stated he wanted to return to their roots and ask for a show of hands of those in the church that are willing to go with him. Only half the people raised their hand. That church rejected the fire of God, His power, and the Holy Ghost tongues. They believe that that stuff should be relegated to a back room or some home cell group somewhere. Once people start making their own rules, anything goes. Yes, houses of worship across our nation are buzzing with activity. Tell your neighbor, everyone is saved. Did you catch that? Houses of worship across our nation are buzzing with activity. Yes, tell your neighbor, everybody's saved. Anybody seeing something wrong with this? There's no judgments. You have to hear our pastor. He's amazing. One minister invited his church to go door to door with a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine. Give them as a token of our church's love. Come one, come all. Another sad situation is a church, this is Brother Steve talking, I know that encourages, encourages, BYOB, bring your own booze to their parties, sanctioned by the church to be held at private homes so as to not offend any new outsiders. Can we say, Ichabod, the glory has departed? Steve Hill goes on to say in his book, Spiritual Avalanche, that Jezebels and Judases are rampant in the church. And everybody says, Amen. That's the picture of a modern church painted by, you know, Brother Steve Hill, the great man of God. And uh, in his book, Spiritual Avalanche, which I highly recommend every Christian purchase that book and read it. Michael Brown, powerfully used in the Brownsville Revival, started fire school. And uh, just an incredible man of God. I love him. Listen to what he wrote recently in Charisma Magazine. I want to read this to you. It is increasingly common to hear about worship leaders getting drunk after church services and dropping F-bombs while they boast about their so-called liberty in the Lord. Some churches are now hiring unsaved musicians to play on their worship teams because of their talent. A few months ago, a young man posted a mocking, irreverent comment on my Facebook page. This is Michael Brown speaking. Because I didn't recognize his name, I clicked on his profile to find out more about him, only to be shocked to see that he was described, he described himself as a guitar player at a local church in Plano, Texas. 
When I posted a scriptural response to his mocking comment, he explained that he didn't care about Jesus or the Word of God. And asked him, but don't you play guitar on a church worship band? He replied, yes, I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of that stuff. But my father goes to the church and they needed a guitarist. So they hired me to play. So what now? Churches are allowing God-mocking atheists to be on their worship team? Another pastor reported his worship team hanging out with a worship leader of another, another large church in an area. Perplexed. They were perplexed by the F-bombs and the profanity they kept hearing. Another pastor told me he sent a number of his young people from his congregation to train in a ministry school known for its worship. All of them came back from, his church, came back from that church with a drinking problem. The result of hanging out with other worshipers in the ministry school. So what, now our worship teams are a bunch of drunks that cuss like sailors? Is anybody seeing something wrong here? Isn't the worship team supposed to be the ones that take people into the glory? How in the world do you expect to get into the glory of God and to the presence of God when you've got a bunch of drunk hypocrites that are going out dropping F-bombs, not even, not even save some of them, atheist God-mockers that are on the worship team? But the, the pastor and the church leaders many times will say, well, the end justifies the means. we got this talented musician up there, so the worship sounds amazing. Well, my question is, what, what about the glory? As I promise you, the Holy Spirit will not anoint that type of garbage, and we all know that. It's going to get a little harder, guys. Here we go. A look at the Ten Commandments. Let's talk about the local church today and just regard to the Ten Commandments, not to mention the whole rest of the Bible. Let's just look at the Ten Commandments. These are things that all of us should know and should live by. Can everybody say amen? amen. All right. So, number one, thou shalt have no other gods. Don't create a graven image. Don't worship other gods. Okay? That's not hard. But let me tell you, in churches now, this Chrislam is just one example of where they're trying to blend Islam and Christianity together take the Quran and the Bible and bring it together and they're trying to unite religions they're worshipping other gods the emerging church is trying to bring in this is going to shock you and this is not an overstatement this is a fact the emerging church that's coming up is trying to bring in occultism new age and the unification of all religions in their teachings did everybody get that? There's a movement in Christian circles that is trying to bring in the occult into the church, is trying to bring in the new age, and is trying to unify religions. So basically, the first of the Ten Commandments is being broken here. Well, we're not supposed to have any other gods. Our worship should be completely to the God of Abraham, in Hebrew, Yahweh, Jehovah, it should be to him, to the Lord Jesus Christ. No other gods. You don't blend religions. You don't bring in the dark arts, the occult, witchcraft. That's an abomination. You don't bring in the new age, occult meditation. You don't try to unify with other religions. And the second part of that, I've already said, creating graven images. People have used their imagination to create a God that tolerates sin, is fine with worldliness, and won't send sinners to hell. They've created an image 
of a God that tolerates sin, is fine with worldliness, and won't send sinners to hell. There's movements out there that, like the Catholic Church, I'll talk more about, they bow down and worship graven images. That's what they do. One preacher was paraded around his church on a throne, lifted up on the shoulders of men. He was wrapped in a Torah, and the people in the congregation were basically worshiping him. Is anybody else seeing that that's bizarre? We're not supposed to worship other gods. You don't worship a man. You don't worship graven images. You don't create false gods. You don't use your imagination to take some kind of an eraser and erase things out of the Bible that you just simply don't like and and create this image of a God that suits your sin and fits into what you want Him to be. That's not the way God operates. He is self-existing. He's eternal. He's all-powerful. He is what He is. And He hates sin. And He will not fit into your box or my box. He is God Almighty. And He said the way He is in the Word. He, he's, he said, I tolerate this. I don't tolerate this. I love this. I hate this. I accept this. I reject this. We have to line up with that. But a rebellious generation says, I'll do what I want to do and expect God to be okay with it. He's not okay with it. Another thing is using God's holy name in vain. I can't begin to tell you how foul language is out there and how rampant profanity and using God's name in vain really is. My first encounter with this blew me away because online I had gotten into, I thought I could use this as a witnessing opportunity. So I got into some chatting with, in different so-called Christian forums. And I thought, well, you know, I'll be able to witness and things. Let me tell you, I could not believe in these so-called Christian forums the profanity, the lust, the occult, and other things that were totally against God's Word. And whenever I would try to bring something out scripturally, I mean literally copying, pasting, posting a scripture how much I was hated and persecuted for just copying and pasting a scripture. And I didn't realize that I had tapped into the emerging church. I had no idea. I had no idea that I had just come in contact with something known as the emerging church. I didn't even know what that was. I thought I was talking to Christians, but I quickly found out these were not saved people. They were, these were people that called themselves Christians, but they weren't saved. And I tried to talk to him over and over. Finally, God spoke to me, and he said this. He said, quit casting your pearls before swine. And from that day forward, I just washed my hands of it and left it. Using God's holy name in vain. One secular rock singer has been made out to be some prophet to the emerging church, and his music has become their worship. I'll get more into that later. I'm talking about here using God's name in vain because when you take the name of Jesus Christ and you call yourself a Christian and you wear that label and you take that name upon yourself and then you walk out and you take that in vain that you're misrepresenting him by the foul language and a wicked lifestyle that's taking God's name in vain just as much as using his name as a cuss word it's taking his name in vain 
But this secular rock singer that, that is heralded as some kind of a prophet, he frequents brothels and bars, gets drunk on a regular basis, kisses men publicly, uses profanity, has a problem with being born again, he thinks it's weird. Stated about himself, he stated this about himself, that he has none of the fruits of the Spirit. Yet the emerging church is looking to him for answers, leadership, and consider him a worship leader and a prophet, and hang on his every word. He has stated emphatically that Christianity, Judaism, and Islam are all true, all roads to heaven. And they're his little, that's his, I'm sorry, he is their little prophet that they hang on his every word, I'm telling Another thing, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments, dishonoring parents. I'm sure the way people treat their parents, I'm sure that that's off, but what I want to talk about is this. Book of Proverbs 22, verse 28, talks about not removing ancient boundary stones that were set up by your ancestors. See, back in the day, before we had the modern technology we have today to survey land, they would mark it off with stones. Okay? And there was literally a curse under the Old Testament if you and your neighbor and others have boundary stones, if you snuck over to their house at night and moved their boundary stones so that your land enlarged. There was a curse that came on people that did that. And the book of Proverbs clearly says, do not move ancient boundary stones that your ancestors set up. See, those are our spiritual parents in the faith. And they have set up boundary stones of saying this is evil, this is right, this is wrong. And they're the ones that carried sound doctrine in their generation and passed it to the next generation. They're the ones that carried Pentecost and revival and passed it to the next generation. They're the ones that have brought to us what we have today. And they've set up boundary stones and the Lord says don't move them. But people now are going and they're finding ancient boundary stones that were set up by people like the Apostle Paul and Peter, by people that, that, were, that blazed the trail in previous generations. The, these boundary stones that were set in place, those people, some of them gave their life to lay down those boundary stones. And now you've got arrogant people that are coming in and saying, I don't believe in that anymore. And they're kicking that stone off to the side. And moving ancient boundary stones. They have no business even touching in the first place. This is good preaching. Let me tell you real quick about my experience with a well-known denomination that my wife and I had thought about getting involved with. Whenever we were there talking to them, they began to ask us about our ministry. And they began to put a tremendous amount of pressure on us about becoming a program-based ministry. And whenever I talked about prayer, fasting, the move of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, they just had an attitude like, well, whatever. You know, you need to get to this program-based thing. They put a tremendous amount of pressure on us to be more seeker-sensitive, they put a tremendous amount of pressure on us. I remember in one conversation it got heated because I started getting agitated about them pressuring me to allow people that have sin in their life 
to be in leadership. Remember that? And he got mad at me because I said I wouldn't do it. Is anybody seeing problems here? And finally, I left out of there, and at that point in time, I'd known how they were, and so I wasn't real interested anyway. But my wife didn't know, and then after that meeting, she's kind of like, forget it. We're... <laughs> and she cried about it. It was sad. I mean, these are, these are religious leaders that influence the whole denomination. And this isn't confined to one area. This is widespread. There was a pastor in East Texas that continually quenched the Holy Spirit, felt that his ministry was based completely on his preaching, and everybody came came to hear him preach. And so when the Holy Spirit would begin to move during the worship service, he would jump up real quick and quiet everything back down. And he said because he didn't want the Holy Spirit to move, because he didn't want the service to be extended, he was afraid he wouldn't be able to get up there and preach, and if he couldn't preach, then the people wouldn't come. If the people are not coming for the right reasons, okay, then maybe they don't need to be coming in the first place. But the point is that this pastor needs to get over himself a little bit here. Okay? It's about Jesus. It's not about you. You know? And whether or not you get to preach or not. And I've never understood that mentality anyway. People say, well, if the Holy Spirit moves, I, I don't get to preach. What? Why not just have a little bit longer service, man, and preach? But people are so caught up with pleasing man they don't care about pleasing God anymore the Holy Spirit now has been regulated to some back room because they're ashamed of him they're ashamed of his working they're ashamed of somebody shaking or falling they're ashamed of somebody laughing in the spirit they're ashamed of speaking in tongues why because it's all about the visitor that comes not being offended that's what it's all about It's not about, Lord, what do you want to do in this service? The emerging church is a movement. It's a loose movement that has multiple churches, multiple leaders across the board. There's no formal doctrine or creed. It's not a denomination. It's just a movement that is very extremely seeker friendly and they're trying to redefine Christianity completely and I'm talking about redefine it where social sins are acceptable I'm actually going to get more into this as I go but I want you to understand it's a movement cross denominations it's a movement that's going on right now but the emerging church believes that the Bible is not infallible they do not believe that the Bible is the perfect word of God at all they do believe that there is no hell. They believe that homosexuality is permissive. They do believe that Jesus is not the only way to heaven. Social sins, for example, abortion, homosexuality, except it's acceptable. They are changing the gospel. I'm talking about moving ancient boundary stones. They are changing the gospel. That you do not have to go through Jesus Christ. You do not have to be born again to go to heaven. And their idea of heaven is not what you and I even think. One of them, one of their main leaders says, do you, do you mean to tell me that heaven's a real place? That we're going? Yeah, that's what we mean to tell you, sir. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'm not trying to be a smart aleck here. I'm saying the truth. That's what the Bible says. 
But he has this attitude like it's not a place you go to. Their mentality is that they're going to bring heaven to earth. There's no hell. There's no heaven. And it's this weird kingdom of God where all faiths come together. And we all live in some kind of a peace. Now tell me that that doesn't fit right into the book of Revelation. Revelation 17, the whore of Babylon, where you got a unified religion across the world. And that's what they're doing. They also believe that we are all gods. New age. They believe that you're a god, and I'm a god. And they believe that in your breath is some kind of mystical power. I'm not kidding. As ridiculous as this sounds, that's what they believe, friend. And they believe it all out. They believe that experience is more important than scriptural truth. They believe that a lot. I'm going to give you some quotes later of these leaders. And they believe many other heretical teachings that are deceiving and damning many to an eternity in hell. Now I'm going to talk about adultery with the world. The Bible says that do not commit adultery. This is one of the Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery. But lust and sexual sins are rampant. Seductive dress. The world's music. Satanic movies are being used in children's church and youth groups. I'm talking about Harry Potter. Can you imagine, or Twilight or whatever, can you imagine having children's church and showing Harry Potter? But you know what? There are people that do it all the time think there's nothing wrong with it. They're loosing demonic spirits in their church. And they'll laugh at me for saying that, but they are. They're letting demons in their church. The epidemic of drunkenness. Where is the distinction with the world? James 4, 4 says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Where is the holy fear of God? And that's a problem because you don't see that with a lot of movements out there. You don't see a fear of God anymore at all. I see more and more this arrogant making fun of, of different scriptures about going to hell. I saw somebody not that long ago on Facebook just post this scripture about spending eternity with hell. And somebody put this real mocking comment just laughing hysterically at him. Listen, the Bible talks about people coming that are God mockers. But where's the fear of God? Jesus clearly said, don't fear the one who can just kill your body, but fear the one that can kill your body and throw you into hell. Fear him. That's what Jesus said. Are we Christians? Are we going to believe what Jesus said? Because part of his teaching was you fear the one that can throw you into hell. Dishonesty. I'm talking about lying and stealing. Another of the Ten Commandments. Lying and corruption seems to be coming the norm. And refusing to deal with church problems and sin in the camp. The mentality is just get their rear ends in the seat. It doesn't matter about having a holy place where God's moving. It's just about how many people can we get in the seats. And how much money can we get out of those people that are in the seats. It's not about God moving. It's not about God's presence. It's not about Jesus being glorified. It's become about other things. I'm going to tell you something. The modern church 
by and large, is run more like a secular business than it is anything spiritual at all. You don't hear about church leaders praying and fasting and seeking God and hearing from God and then getting up and saying, we have to take a step of faith because we've heard from God about this and we're going to move with God. You don't hear that. You hear sound business principles. If you do this, 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 and this, it's just like going to a local store and they have the decor and everything set to draw the the people there because they want their business. What about asking the Lord, Lord, what do you want to be the decor? What do you want this place to look like? What do you want here in your house, since it is your house and it's not my house? But it's run like a business. The money's handled like a business. What about faith? What about having to step out in faith? You don't hear about that. And then the final one that I'll deal with in the Ten Commandments is coveting. Envying what others have. Deep down there's many pastors out there that know these things are wrong. But they covet the money and the reputation you get with a large ministry. So they sell out. And they know they're selling out. Competition, pride, selfish ambition, and politics have defiled the church. Why? Because people are covetous in their heart. They're covetous for the money, they're covetous for the reputation, and that's what they're after. I'll come back to the emerging church. Let me, I'm going to try to bring this all together. Let me jump over now to the Catholic Church. And I'm going to come back and start bringing this all together. And let me say about the Catholic Church. I, I love Catholic people a lot. Um, I know some of them. I love them. So I don't want people to feel like I have something against Catholic people. Because I really don't. They're sweet people. And they're precious people. I love them. And the problem I have. And I'm about to show you why I have the problem. And when I do many of you are about to have a problem with it too, is the doctrine of the Catholic Church. That's what I have a problem with. Because they are a cult. And I'm about to show you that. But there is a movement right now with the Catholic Church and the two previous popes, and I'm sure this one will pick up on it, of bringing the religions of the world together. The previous pope was able, and I'm going to tell you something about the pope, The Pope has the ability to get in the ear of leaders of the nations like nobody else. You hear me? He has the ability to get in the, the, to speak into the ears of religious leaders across the world like probably nobody else does. And he's been able to infiltrate and talk to all these other religions. And he's been, the previous Pope was working, I mean, night and day with everything in him, to bring all of these religions together. And I wondered, how in the world could he get through to Islam? But you know how he's doing it? Because the people of Islam believe that Muhammad and Mary are together in paradise. Yeah, as weird as that sounds, that's what they believe. And there was an apparition of Mary that happened in Fatima, And the Islamic people believed that it was prophetic because Muhammad had a daughter named Fatima. So the Pope is able to go in and talk about Mary and the Muslims accept him on that basis. 
And I'm going to tell you, one, one religious leader I really love, he said this, he said, when the Muslims begin to see apparitions of Mary, you will know that the end is near, and they are. These, these are not Mary visiting the earth here, friend. She's with Jesus. She's in heaven. She was a godly woman. What is, what is coming, piercing through into the natural realm and pretending to be Mary is some fallen angel and these people are, are whoring around that, worshiping that thing. And I'm going to tell you, a man by the name of Gary Kaw has some tremendous teaching on this. Joe Schimmel has some, some great you know, expositories. It's a man by the name of Bill Schneblin that has a tremendous testimony coming out of the occult. Has some great teaching. He was a, a Satanist and a witch and all of that. And at the same time, he was a Catholic priest. Of course, they really had no problem with that. But let me tell you why the Catholic Church, there's some serious problems at the foundation and at the very headship, okay? There's an ecumenical movement of the Catholic Church. Ecumenical is interfaith. All the other religions coming together, okay? There's an ecumenical movement of the Catholic Church, the emergent church, New Age, and Islam that is quickly setting stage for the one world religion the Bible prophesies will come. Now listen to this downward spiral, spiral with the Catholic Church. In 300 AD, they instituted praying to the dead. We're supposed to be praying to Jesus. When you start praying to dead people, this is not a good thing. The Bible calls it necromancy and says that it is demonic and that it is occult. Okay. Then in 300 AD, they also instituted the making the sign of a cross. All you guys have seen them do it, the sign of the cross. They also, in 375, the, the worship, the veneration of angels and dead saints. Doesn't the Bible say not to do that? You're not supposed to worship angels. You're not supposed to worship or pray to dead saints. Just because somebody was a good man and they died, that doesn't mean now that they are some kind of mediator. Like if I, if I pray to um, Saint so-and-so, then maybe he can go to God on my behalf and God will listen to him and then God will grant me some kind of favor here. So they'll go, and they do this all the time. Friend, those of you that aren't Catholic, this may sound weird to you, but people out there that are Catholic, they're like, yeah, I mean, I, we always do that. They'll pray to some dead saint to get some kind of favor from God. In 375, the use of images in worship. In 394, Mass is a daily celebration. In 431, the beginning of the exaltation of Mary. She began to be called the Mother of God. And what they mean by that is obviously exalting her above Jesus. In 526, the last rites. In 593, purgatory. Now, you know, when you start creating some weird netherworld that is not anywhere in the Bible, there's heaven and hell, but now the Catholic Church has created this place they call purgatory. That people go there, and you can get them back out. I mean, if you give the Catholic Church enough money, then they will say enough prayers to get them out. And they believe it. So purgatory is quite profitable to the Catholic Church. Then in 600, prayers to Mary and dead saints. 
In 786, the worship of the cross, images, and relics. And this really bothers me. Because the Bible specifically says, as clear as a man can write it down on a piece of paper, do not make graven images and do not worship them. And that's what they're doing. And this isn't something like there's some obscure church in the Catholic Church out there somewhere out in the woods. Nobody knows about them. You know, they handle snakes and they worship these images. It's not like that. It's like this is coming from the Vatican. This is official doctrine from the Pope down in the Vatican. Okay? In 995 A.D., canonizing of dead saints. In 1079 A.D., the celibacy of the priesthood. That was a debacle. I mean, look today at all the sexual things running rampant. God never required celibacy in his leaders. Okay? He wants people to be married and have families. Amen? In 1090, the rosary, which is the same thing as the Hindu mala. It's pagan. In 1190, indulgences. Now, I believe, in my opinion, that indulgences was what ticked off Martin Luther the most. Because if you look at his life and you study his life, this seems to be what kind of was the straw that broke the camel's back. He was already mad about everything. I'm sure it was, it was welling up within him. He was writing it down, probably in secret, his 95 Thesis. But whenever he saw indulgences, he got literally angry. Because people could go to a priest and they could take their little bag of money. They could give it to the priest and say, I'm paying you off. Now, I'm going to go have an affair on my wife, but I'm paying you off so that I can go do that. That's an indulgence. And the priest would sanction it. In 1215, confessing your sins to a priest was instituted. In 1220, the worship of the wafer. Now, it's one thing to honor the communion, the wafer, and the blood. I understand about honoring that. But it's a whole other thing when we all start bowing down and we set up a wafer. And all of us start bowing down and worshiping and praying to the wafer. Okay? That's off, friend. In twelve in fourteen fourteen rather, the communion cup was forbidden to the laity. The the priest had to hold it and let them drink from it. In fourteen thirty nine, purgatory was proclaimed as dogma. Fourteen thirty nine also the doctrine of seven sacraments. And I'm skipping through some things just real quick, but this is what I wanted to get to. Is you see the downward spiral? See Martin Luther in fifteen seventeen split off the Catholic Church. He was ticked off. It was a holy anger. He took his 95 Thesis. He nailed it on the door in Wittenberg. He split off the Catholic Church. He started the Protestant movement. Now, here is what happens in 1545. The Catholic leadership meets together. And they publicly and officially denied every doctrine of the Reformation. And I'm talking about... You know, Martin Luther believed the Bible, sola scriptura, the Bible only is the infallible word of God. They denied that. And they also denied that salvation by grace through faith alone. They denied it. Officially, from the headship, they denied it. That's what I have the biggest problem with. And to me, that's why it's a cult. Because they do not believe that you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. They do not believe that. 
they believe that you're saved by being right with the Catholic Church. Fifteen forty six, they added the apocrypha, you know, more and more things. But anyway, and here's the other one. If you look down on number twenty four, there, they confirmed unum sanctum, which means there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church. That's what they officially believe in the Catholic Church from the Vatican, and they pronounce anathemas, all these eternal curses on people that are outside the Catholic Church. They do not believe that you can get to heaven outside the Catholic Church. They do not believe that Jesus Christ alone is your source of salvation. Now, do you understand why this is dangerous? This is a cult. And of course, Mary was proclaimed the mother of the Roman Catholic Church. And I'm going to skip a bunch of things. But let me get to our time. Why is this such a big deal? Right now, the previous Pope, I'm sorry, the one before him that died, John Paul, he actually put out a video, and this was from, it wasn't like an exposing of the Pope, this was something his administration put out. In this video, he was visiting Buddhist and Hindu temples. He was working to find middle ground with Islam and the unification of world religions. He participated in a ceremony where they burned the smudge pot, which is an ancient Native American satanic ritual. And you know, the Vatican was built on some dark satanic grounds, which a lot of people don't know that, with a phallic symbol right in the middle. And if it's not a phallic symbol in the courtyard of the Vatican, somebody please tell me what that thing is. Why am I sharing all that? Because so many people are looking at the Pope as this great religious leader. But in fact, his official doctrine that he believes is you do not find salvation through Christ. You find it through the Catholic Church. And when that right there is the foundation, the foundation is flawed. How many knows we need some good, solid, biblical doctrine? The Bible is God's inspired word. You don't add or take away from it. The 66 books of the Bible, do you know in the, in the tabernacle, the lampstand, they had the bowl, the buds, and the blossoms, and everything on that lampstand. Did you know if you add it all up, it's 66. You know why? Because God was prophesying there would one day be a 66 book of the Bible that would be his revelation to man. Amen? There is one God, eternal, self-existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Catholic Church was talking about having Mary as a part of the Trinity. So you would have, no longer be the Trinity. Whatever the word would be, quadrinity, I don't know. But you would have Father, Son, Spirit, Mary. It's bizarre, friend. The deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. I just witnessed to a guy the other day that's telling me Jesus, he, he claimed to be a Christian, but he said Jesus was not God. Well, the problem with that is, is the Bible says he's God. John chapter 1, which of course he says he read the Bible, and I said, well, you need to read it some more, man. And I tried to be nice, but he was not listening to me. How many knows a prideful person wants to do all the talking? Anyway, so I finally just put on my earphones, and he's still talking. I just ignored him. I was like, friend, I done told you the truth, okay? 
I did talk to him. I was real nice, but he was still, he was trying to teach me. And I'm sorry, going listen. Jesus is God in the flesh. The Bible says in John chapter one that the Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's 100% God, 100% man. That's good doctrine. The coming rapture. Now I'm going to talk to you about why the coming rapture is so important and why the devil's doing everything he can to get people off that. Salvation in Christ alone. That's good doctrine. You don't get saved by going off and hugging a rare tree on Mount Everest. You don't get saved by rubbing some fancy stone in a Buddhist temple. You don't get saved by spinning a prayer wheel in a Hindu temple. You don't get saved by going and having a Catholic priest say, you're saved. You get saved through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's it. <laughs> Healing and deliverance was paid for at the cross. The baptism in the Holy Ghost. We need the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's good doctrine. The resurrection of the dead and the kingdom to come. These are our foundational truths. These are ancient boundary stones that our spiritual forefathers set in place. And God says, don't move them. Don't move them. The Bible is the infallible word of God. That's a stone in place. Don't move that stone. Jesus is the only way to the Father. That's a stone that's firmly in place. Don't move that stone. But there's, there's a false doctrines now that have crept in. And I love them, but you got money preachers that are in it, and they're in it for the money, some of them. And they're preaching in a way that is trying to draw finances out of people instead of preaching the gospel. And the Bible says it would happen. Hyper grace... Where people are so focused on the grace of God, they ignore the judgments. There's a balance. Antinomianism, which means against law. It's anything goes. They literally believe that whatever you believe is okay for you, whatever I believe is okay for me, we're just, you know, let's just all get along. That, that's so false. The deification of man. The belief of universalism where all roads lead to heaven. And universal reconciliation where everybody will be in heaven. They believe that people may go to hell for a time, but God will ultimately bring them out and we'll all be reconciled. Doctrines that make people feel comfortable in their sin is very common. The attitude is just make everybody feel comfortable. But how many knows that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not comfortable? It's not. I remember hearing during the Brownsville Revival, Richard Crisco one time was talking to the people who had just gotten saved, and he said, you need to get water baptized. You need to get the sin out of your life. When you break up with a, boy, when you know, when a girl breaks up with a boyfriend, they throw the jacket back in his face. So you need to throw whatever the devil's given you in life, you need to throw it back in his face. And he said this. <laughs> he said that you need to find a good church where they preach the word, and he said, you know where they preach the word is where you're sitting there and you're squirming in your pew because you're convicted. That's a good church. But now you have a lot of churches that, I mean, with everything in them, they don't want that. They don't want anybody squirming. They, want, they don't want anybody uncomfortable. Friend, man, if, it, if the Holy Spirit is welcomed in many churches, there would be people squirming like you wouldn't believe convicted in their sin. But what good will it do, preacher, 
to have this whole world and lose your soul? What good will it do to have a large church just to have three-fourths of them in hell? What good is it going to do in eternity? Satan is trying to create a gospel that is inclusive to all in all kinds of social sins. There's a dangerous teaching. I consider this to be a dangerous teaching out there. It's called the dominion teaching. And this basically believes that Christians are going to take over the world. Everything's going to get better instead of worse. They don't believe in the rapture. But they believe we're taking over the governments and that Jesus is just going to come back as we take over everything. There's many problems with that. One being the Bible says the opposite. That's the biggest problem. But the second problem is is that that whole mentality is a mentality that these um, emergent church also has. That whole kingdom on earth. It's also dangerous because the Illuminati has that whole take over the world mentality. But the Dominion teaching believes that we will take over the governments. I'm just reading from here. And usher in Christ's coming heaven on earth. These people usually do not believe in the rapture. New age ideas state we are saviors and will bring salvation into the earth. Did you hear that? The new agers believe we are the saviors of humanity. And will bring salvation in the earth. Some also believe that the ascended masters will save us. Now, as ridiculous as that sounds, ascended masters are supposedly people throughout history, like maybe like a Gandhi or whoever, and they include Jesus in this, that found a higher level. And so now they're ascended masters. And when we're all in trouble, they're just going to come down and help us out. They believe that. They also believe that UFOs will come and remove those that are hindrances. That's a real good way to explain away the rapture when it happens. But listen, I know you guys laugh about the UFO thing, but let me tell you, as I've been looking into this, I've been really surprised at how many people now believe in aliens and UFOs. I'm talking people with PhDs and not a few. And some of the ridiculous things that they believe, and I I thought the same thing, and I was telling my daughter about it, and she said, you know, it takes more faith to believe in that than to believe in that God created heaven and earth. And I thought the same thing. Because they, they believe what I heard one of them saying that, well, the flood that happened in Noah's day must have happened because there was some scientific proof. So, so therefore, he believes it. But he said that the fact that somebody could make a boat that big, he had a hard time with that. So he said what he thinks is that the aliens came down. This is, this is a PhD person. He's, listen, friend, he's dead serious. And uh, he's saying the aliens came down and talked with Noah. Listen to this. It gets, it gets weirder. And he believes that they took DNA samples of all the animals. Okay? And they put them in these little cylinders. And then they put all those in a little boat. And then the flood happened. And whenever he got out, then the aliens came back and helped him because they had the DNA samples to replicate the animals. Somebody please help me understand. Is, isn't that harder to believe? than just the fact that God told a man to build a big boat. The whole belief in the UFOs, please hear me, because this is actually getting more and more widespread, and you guys, one day, you'll probably not be laughing as hard about it, because it's getting more and more widespread. People believe 
that these they always believe about the aliens and UFOs, they always believe that they are at a higher intellectual level than we are. Which I always find that interesting. Why? If there are aliens, why aren't some of them stupid? But they always think that, which I don't believe in aliens. Let me make that real clear. Let's officially go on the record as Pastor Scott says, I do not believe in aliens, okay? But I'm always thinking, why are they always so much smarter than us? You know, but they believe that they, they are brilliant, you know, and so far advanced in their technology than us. And, and that when they come, they're going to help us with our technology because they're so far advanced. They believe, and this is a wise critique, they believe that it's going to come a day with, with the help of these aliens as they come to help us, that we're going to be able to have the technology to download your personality and your, who you are. They're going to download it into a computer. And they're going to clone people at the, pri- the prime of their life. They're going to clone them. So you've got this little mini, mini person that's in frozen storage over here. And when you get old one day, and you're, you're about to kick the bucket, then what they're going to do is they're going to take your, your brain or whatever and download who you are into a computer database. You're going to die. Then they're going to put that into the clone, which will reemerge. And out of that, you will have eternal life because they'll just keep doing that. They believe that. I know that this sounds ridiculous to you guys, but you'd be surprised how many people believe this stuff. And the Bible talks about signs from the heavens. And let me tell you something. Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, it would be at my coming. And what you're dealing with when you're dealing with UFOs is what you're dealing with things like principalities and powers. And you're dealing with fallen angels in the second heaven and them coming down and messing with humanity. And it, they're calling this alien activity, but it's really demonic manifestations. Why is the enemy doing it? Because it's deceptive. So the areas that Satan is at work. Y'all follow me? I've got a little bit more to go here. The unification of world governments at the UN. The UN started, if I remember correctly, after World War II. The UN formed. So the UN hasn't been around for really that long. Think about it. The UN formed after World War II. I believe it was not World War I, but World War II. So it hasn't really been around that long. And the first thing on their docket was, what are we going to do with the little nation of Israel? The unified world government of the UN. Number two, this is another area Satan's at work. The unifying world currency. And you see it beginning with the European Union and the Euro. Also, you see anti-Semitism. This is an area Satan is at work. Anti-Semitism. Why do people hate the Jewish people? It's illogical that some of these people hate the Jews. It doesn't even make sense. But the truth is that Satan is at work. It's an antichrist spirit. Why? Because Satan knows Jesus is coming back to the nation of Israel and he's trying to wipe Israel off the map so there's no place for Jesus to come to. But the Bible says that Jesus will come back to Israel and God is the defender of Israel. And so Satan's not going to be able to do it. But let me recap real quick. In the future, what it looks like will happen to the nation of Israel the pundits on this subject, those that are experts about Israeli end-time prophecy believe that Psalm 83 predicts a coming war. And the confederacy of nations 
that are coming against Israel seem to line up perfectly with the confederation of these terroristic-based nations that are surrounding Israel right now. And so what a lot of end-time students of prophecy believe is that this Psalm 83 prophecy is about to happen where these Islamic nations attack Israel. And Israel is going to crush them. And when they do, they're going to expand their borders big time. And when they expand their borders, what's going to happen? They're going to gain all that oil and all the wealth that goes with that oil. And that's going to set stage for Gog and Magog war. Because we wonder, you know, Gog and Magog, this is the Iran-Russian alliance. And it says that they're looking at Israel wanting to plunder their wealth. Well, right now when you look at Israel, what exactly would you want to plunder? Some olive trees? Seriously, I mean. But they're going to look down. What's going to happen is, is that Israel's going to expand its borders into this oil area. You know what I'm saying? They're going to get all that oil, and they're going to have wealth, and they're going to become the Mideast superpower. In Iran and in Russia, these people are going to be covetous of what they have. And it says that they, that's what it says in Ezekiel 38 39. It says that they talk amongst themselves, we want to go down and plunder their wealth. And that's going to lead up to the Gog and Magog war. So what you're about to see, if the experts are right, I believe they probably are, you're going to see a Psalm 83 war that prepares things for the Ezekiel 38 and 39 war. Gog and Magog. And then probably after Gog and Magog war, Israel is going to want peace. And the Antichrist will come on the scene and offer them peace. And he'll make a peace treaty with them. And when the Knesset or the Prime Minister, however they're going to work this out, when they sign that peace treaty with the Antichrist, the tribulation starts right then. And ultimately, the Antichrist will break the peace treaty halfway through the tribulation. And then there's going to be this genocide against Jews. But at the end of the tribulation, Armageddon. So these are the three main wars. Psalm 83, Gog and Magog. And then Armageddon. Armageddon is right before Jesus comes. All the nations, the kings of the east, China, all these come in to destroy Israel. Israel's crying out to God for salvation. Jesus comes and splits the eastern sky and wipes out their enemies. It's going to be an awesome thing to see. And Jesus is going to take, or have his angels take the Antichrist and false prophet and throw them right in the lake of fire. All right. So this is an area that Satan is at work with anti-Semitism, trying to wipe Israel off the map. He's also at work with a one-world religion, which it seems like the Pope and the Vatican are spearheading this. Number five, he's at work creating apostasy in Christianity through the emerging church, which is teaching that salvation can be found outside of Jesus. Number six, Some weird revivals that seem to be of another spirit, which I'm going to explain later. Number seven, Lucifer is more and more being seen as a benevolent good God. Now that's weird. You would think people would know that the devil's the bad guy. Number eight, you're seeing soon the rise of the Antichrist and the false prophet. And number nine, you're seeing powerless, lukewarm Christianity. These are areas Satan's at work. Take note of that. Those are areas that Satan is at work preparing 
the world stage for end time prophecy to be fulfilled. It's just like whenever they would create a drama in a school and behind the scenes, where most people don't see what's going on, behind the scenes, they're setting up all these props. The actors are getting dressed. The makeup is being put on people. Everything's being set. And whenever it's time, the lights come down and they hit the curtain, the curtain parts, and then you see it unfold. Right now, behind the scenes, you're seeing great preparation going on that a lot of people don't even realize is going on that's setting stage for exactly what the Bible says will happen. Let me talk to you about Lord Maitra. And it is as weird as it sounds. Rebecca Brown and some friends went to see this. I want you to hear this because I talked about mind control last time, last sermon. And I want to pick up on that. Satan operates and functions through trying to control people. God always gives people free will. God always goes up to people and says, you can choose this or this. And gives them a free will. Satan tries to force people into things. And one of the ways Satan controls people is through their thinking. That's good. He tries to control people through their thinking. I want you to hear that. Because what I mean by that when I say that's good is because I'm trying to expose the devil's tactics. This is stronghold. Satan sets up strongholds in people's minds. This is a good example of how he does it. Through illicit sexual activity of this generation, drug use, occult practices, yoga, and Eastern meditation, and generational curses have opened people up to the dark side. And so through that, people have gotten bondage in their life. And I'm here to expose this to you. Because, let me read this to you as Rebecca Brown saw it. She said in her book, she wrote, Today's newspaper stating this, The Christ is now here. The name of this Christ is called Lord Maitre, or have you say it. So this is a false Christ. Are you all hearing this? The meeting was held in a wealthy Episcopal church in North Hollywood, California. I suppose there are about 400 people present. I'm reading this straight out of Rebecca's writings. This experience was a real-life demonstration of Satan's power for our country and for Christians, which I think would be worthwhile describing in some detail. I went there with three other Christians before entering the church. Now, this is supposed to be a Christian church, mind you. Before entering the church, we spent some time in prayer asking the Lord specifically to bind the demons so that the audience could not be hypnotized or deceived. The meeting started with an announcement that 10 minutes of silence would be observed during which everyone was supposed to meditate to receive an overshadowing and a blessing from Lord Maitre, how you say it, through Benjamin Creme, how you say his name. All right, here's the thing. This Benjamin guy comes out on the stage and he's supposedly going to go into some kind of meditative trance and he's going to channel this thing called Lord Maitre, who claims to be the Christ. Yeah. And this is going on in a Christian church, by the way. The result of this were very interesting. Benjamin sat on a straight chair in the center of the stage, quickly went into a meditative trance. His breathing slowed so much to the extent that his face, neck, and hands became mottled and blue from a lack of oxygen. His whole positioning and appearance took on a peculiar reptilian nature. His eyes were very different than before, extremely piercing and black. I felt as if suddenly I was looking at a corpse whose only sign of life was the burning eyes of the demon inside of him. 
He gazed unblinkingly over the audience, very slowly turning his head from side to side. That is, until he came to our side of the room. He obviously ran into some trouble there. The Lord gave us a momentary vision in our spirits of his attempt to layer demons over the audience and obtain control over their minds. This is important. I'm going somewhere with this. But it didn't work for the most part. And supposed 10 minutes dragged into 45 minutes. People struggled for control. The audience became restless, whispering and shuffling their feet, rustling papers. We sat there quietly rebuking and binding the demonic. That's why he was having a hard time. Because there were some Christians in there binding up his power. However, the hypnotic, demonic power in his gaze was some of those most powerful I'd ever experienced. We had to actively resist in the name of Jesus to keep our minds from blanking out or falling under any power of this thing. I can understand just how easy it would be for an unaware person to fall completely under that control. And a person who does not have the power of the Lord Jesus Christ available to them just doesn't even stand a chance. Some of the people who practiced meditation quickly fell into a trance and were oblivious, completely oblivious to their surroundings. How sad it was to see so many people completely give up their precious God-given gift of their mind and their free will to demonic control. After 45 minutes, Benjamin placed his hands together in an attitude of obedience and bowed low, giving worship and honor to the demon called Lord Maitre. Then a church official stood up and made an announcement that anyone who tried to question, disagree with, or refute anything Benjamin had to say would be arrested and removed by the police for causing a disturbance. No freedom of speech there. I was most interested that Benjamin, listen to this, felt it necessary to spend about 30 minutes of his lecture ridiculing and attempting to prove false the widespread Christian belief on the rapture. Why was that such a big deal? Why was the rapture such a big deal to discredit? That Satan's servant would spend 30 minutes on it. Considering the amount of controversy among Christian circles regarding a rapture, I was fascinated that Satan apparently considered the teaching enough of a threat to have his servant spend so much time opposing it. Benjamin was clearly fulfilling prophecy in Second Peter, quoting, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is this promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. So he was mocking the Lord's coming. He, and then he went on, it says, spent the next hour freely reinterpreting all of history, science, and the Bible, twisting it all to fit his theory of reincarnation. Through it all, he continually repeated the same theme. There are two major enemies of mankind, the United States of America, and fundamentalist... <laughs> That's so ridiculous. And funnel, fundament, I can't say, I'm sorry. Fundamental Christians, I can do this. Let me get a drink of water. Hold on. <laughs> I'm trying to laugh at this guy. I'm trying not to laugh at this guy. The, the two greatest enemies of humanity is the United States of America <laughs> and Christians. Wow. All right, anyway, the audience clapped with approval. He stated many times that the U.S. is the glutton of the world, using three-fourths of the world's energy and natural resources. I was horrified to see the blind acceptance of such statements by this audience. These are Americans, man. It's like, what are you thinking? There we were, sitting in a supposed Christian church, forbidden from speaking any opposition, under threat of police action, listening to statements from a man 
who wants to abolish God-given freedoms we enjoy in this country and do away with all Christians with the complete approval of citizens of the United States who are befriending, or I'm sorry, who are benefiting from those freedoms. I don't think the average Christian in this country has any idea how far Satan has gone towards the establishment of a one-world government. There are seemingly endless numbers of organizations, groups, and philosophies, and self-help courses, and subliminal tapes, and yoga classes, on and on, which are involved in New Age beliefs. It is impossible to list them all. That's interesting, isn't it? That's going to be one of the tactics of the Antichrist, is to try to exert mind control over mass audiences. I believe Hitler had that ability. I really do. Hitler could get up over a mass audience of tens of thousands of people and could have them just under his spell completely. The Antichrist will do the same thing. So the media, you know, reports certain things, puts a slant on it, withholds certain things to control your thinking. But one day when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he's going to take it a step farther and he's actually going to use demonic power to sway the minds of people. Let me give you some quotes real quick from some of these emerging leaders. Then I want to pray with people. So some of the emerging church leaders. A reporter confronted one of these leaders and told him in this interview, he said, you are creating, this is a non-Christian reporter, by the way. He says, you are creating a message that is warm, kind, and popular to a contemporary culture, palatable to contemporary people, and amending the gospel. Did you hear that? You are creating a Christian message that is warm, kind, and popular to a contemporary culture, palatable to contemporary people, and you are amending the gospel. You're changing the gospel. This same emergent church leader believes, I want you to hear these quotes, Jesus wants heaven here, not in a way that you would think, but in a way that does away with eternity in hell. He teaches the Bible is a human product, not a divine product. In one of his books, he states, what if tomorrow someone digs up a definitive proof that Jesus had a real earthly biological father named Larry? And archaeologists find Larry's tomb and do a DNA sample and prove, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the virgin birth was really just a bit of mythologizing, how you say it, the gospel writers. They threw it in to appeal to the followers of the Mithra and Dionysian religious cults that were hugely popular at that time, whose gods had virgin births. This is a, a Christian leader who's denying the virgin birth. This preacher has recently come out affirming gay marriage, stating, and I quote, I am for gay marriage. I am for fidelity. I am for love, whether it's a man with a woman or a woman with a man or a man with a man or a woman with a woman. I think that ship has sailed and I think this is the world we are living in and we need to affirm people wherever they are. Another very well-known pastor, leader in the emergent church, let me read you a few more quotes. He said, drop any affair you may have with certainty, proof, argument, and replace it with dialogue, conversation, intrigue, and search. Let me explain that. 
What he's saying is, what you think is fact, what the Bible says is fact, what you think is fact, throw it out. And start talking amongst yourself and find out what's fact. He goes on to say, the Jesus of one reading of the apocalypse brings us to a grim resignation. The world will get worse and worse and finally this jihadist Jesus will return to use force, domination, violence and even torture. The ultimate imperial tools to vanquish evil and bring peace. Jihadist Jesus. I don't think, he said, uh, and I quote, I don't think we've got the gospel right yet. What does it mean to be saved? Before modern evangelical teaching, nobody accepted Jesus Christ as their personal savior. None of us has arrived at orthodoxy. Do you see what I'm saying? Is this making sense to you guys? He's saying that this study on the end times... He's calling Jesus some jihadist Jesus that will come back and will abuse people and take over like a tyranny. He said, I don't think we've got the gospel right. I think we do. Maybe he don't, but I think that we do. When one contrasts the vital portrait of Jesus painted by Steve Chalk with the tense caricature drawn so often by modern Christianity, one can't help but feeling that the Jesus of modern Christianity is in trouble. This is quotes from him. He also stated, God is a cosmic child abuser for his son being sacrificed in sinner's place. Ultimately, and he goes on to say, I hope Jesus will save Buddhism, Islam, and every other religion, including Christianity, which often seems to need more saving than the rest. And he says this, the cross is not the center of, it is almost a distraction from God. These are the leaders of the emergent church. They think God is a cosmic child abuser for putting Jesus on the cross. Another emergent leader states, Jesus' sacrifice was to appease an angry God. Penal substitution, the cross, was the name of this vile doctrine. The church, another quote, the church's fixation on the death of Jesus as, a, as the universal saving must end. The cross must be reimagined in the Christian faith. Why? Because of the cult of suffering and the vindictive God behind it. These are Christian leaders? Is anybody seeing what I'm talking about with wolves in sheep's clothing here? He's saying to get your eyes, he's saying get your eyes off Jesus. And I'm telling you, get your eyes on Jesus. Another emergent leader says this, he's a universalist that believes everyone will be saved in the end. He states, are you suggesting to me that heaven is an actual place? That the place of God is an individual place that you go? See, he doesn't believe in heaven and they don't believe in hell either. Another emergent leader took his church into a Buddhist temple to practice occult imagery. And he stated emphatically that we do need to listen to some heretics. And then finally, this is the last quote. Another emergent leader says this, we can all be gods. Now this is interesting. A theology of mysticism provides some hope for common ground between Christians and Islam. Listen to what he's saying. Could Muslims have encountered the same God we do in Christian mysticism, he believes that we can unify the religions of the world through mystical experiences that he describes as drug trips or like drug trips. 
In other words, the, the Islamic worshipers are having some kind of a mystical experience. The Christians are worshiping, having some kind of mystical experience. And through that mysticism, we all come together. That's what he's saying. I'm not naming names. I'm just giving you quotes. I'm being really nice here, okay? I could name names, but I'm not going to do that. But they're telling you to get your eyes off Jesus. They're saying that the Bible is not true. You need to reimagine what you believe. They're saying the cross of Jesus Christ is a distraction to get your eyes off that. These are some serious things that they're teaching. They're teaching people to get away from Jesus Christ as being the only Savior and the Word of God being the infallible Word of God to come away from that. They're moving ancient boundary stones. Let me read you a couple more things and I'm going to close. A well-known pastor in San Francisco. Now how many knows we're supposed to be different than the prevailing satanic spirit of a region, Okay. All right, this is where your mouths are going to hang open. Here we go. So this pastor of a church in San Francisco, he is the grand marshal of the gay parade. He's been performing gay marriages since 1965. He claims that Jesus taught about heaven. He uses cuss words. He says, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't believe in that stuff. I think it's a lot of more cuss words. He promotes the do what thou wilt philosophy of Aleister Crowley. Now listen to this, and I, I hate to, to have to say this, but it needs to get out there. This is this pastor in his church, and this, the name of this church is a well-known denomination, by the way. He says that in every service at such and such church, we embrace one another. We kiss one another. We feel one another. I'm dead serious. This is disgusting. He said the, ch the chairman of my official board was an admitted homosexual, and why not? He said, this is one way for every person to find their sexual identity. He said, I've not married a single couple at this church who were not already living together. People become stimulated in our churches and the services. That's what he says. He said, we believe in people doing their thing and doing what they want to. Several have become so stimulated they have disrobed at church. It, it would be funny if it wasn't so disgusting. <laughs> One young man came to the church covered only in a blanket. He walked up to the front, threw his blanket down, and stood there totally naked. This is the pastor talking. He said, I walked over to him, patted him on the back, and said, Man, what a beautiful body you have. <laughs> a San Francisco newspaper editor went to that church, and he said this, and I quote, He said, The service, in my opinion was an insult to every Christian attending and was the most disgusting display of vulgarity and sensuousness I have ever seen anywhere. It's in San Francisco, but see, you know, you're supposed to go against the prevailing spirit of a region. You don't embrace the spirit of a region. All right, let me start closing this down. The emerging church, let me talk about this prophet. Now, what I'm trying to tell you is this. Some of these people that I'm trying to point out without naming names are people that are false teachers that you don't need to be listening to. These are people that are trying to get your eyes off Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, keep your eyes on Jesus. They're trying to get you off of the Word of God. I'm telling you to get your eyes on the Word of God. They're trying to make you feel like all these different roads lead to heaven. I'm telling you, Jesus is the only way to heaven. These are false teachers. 
False teachers. Don't listen to them. Now I'm going to talk about a false prophet. There are others, but this is one. The emerging church has a prophet worship leader. They look to as almost being infallible. He's a lead singer of a well-known secular rock band. Many of these churches are using his secular songs in their worship services right now. This singer, who is considered to be a prophet, is I'm going to just start giving some things about him. The emergence feel he's their prophet leader, and he promotes lasciviousness, debauchery in his lifestyle and Kenneth Anger films. Now, what in the world? Who's Kenneth Anger? Now, this is he's very open about this. Kenneth Anger is an open Satanist, very open about it. The dude has Lucifer tattooed on his chest. He's not hiding it. He's very open as he worships the devil. Okay. He's definitely not a Christian. Why would somebody, the emergent church is looking to as their prophet, be promoting Kenneth Anger films that in those films there is a lot of homosexuality and a lot of Satan worship? Why? Kenneth Anger said that making a movie is casting a spell. This, and I have to do the quotes, worship leader, states he wants to change the world and if meeting with Lucifer would do that, he would. He believes in ushering the kingdom of God, heaven on earth. This is a counterfeit kingdom. It's ecumenical. It's interfaith. It is the whore of Babylon. He wears an upside down cross in his concerts. And he has the coexist symbols on a headband. And he is a universalist. One emergent leader stated that the lyrics of this rock band should be in Bible schools alongside the Bible and studied. This so-called prophet said he doesn't understand or accept being born again as a tag. It doesn't believe God excludes other faiths. He believes all the New Agers and the emergent seem to believe people will have to die to bring in this kingdom of theirs. Now let me tell you this. Let me stop there. All these different movements are beginning to talk more and more about the fact that for them to accomplish what they're wanting to do with uniting the religions of the world and bringing about this kingdom of God on earth, this universal thing, this interfaith movement, that there's going to have to be people that are removed for that to happen. They believe they will either have to be killed or imprisoned or the UFOs are going to come get them. That's what they believe. I know it sounds ridiculous, but they do believe that. All right. This so-called prophet is pro-homosexual, he's ecumenical, and has a problem with true Christian beliefs. Him and his band are open drinkers that regularly get drunk and visit brothels and they're pro-abortion. He stated he read about the fruits of the Spirit in the Bible and that he has none of them. And he stated about himself that he is bad advertisement for God. But this is their prophet. They, it's the emergent church movement that looked to him. Anyway, on one of his tours, he dressed up as Satan throughout the whole tour. He stated that God's Spirit moves through us all, and the world at a pace that can never be constricted by any one religion. And be wary of those. This is what he says. This is what this prophet's telling people. He says, be wary of those that believe their way is the only way. During one of his concerts, he was wearing the coexist symbols on a, on a bandana. And he was leaned over and he was chanting while pointing at these symbols. This is what he was saying. He was saying Jesus and he was pointing at the cross. Jew, 
He's pointing at the star David, Mohammed at the crescent moon. And he was chanting over and over, Jesus, Jew, Mohammed, all is true. And he was chanting that over and over and over. While he was doing this, some of the people couldn't really hear because of the way the concert was set up. It was hard to hear exactly what he was saying. But see, a lot of these people think this guy's a Christian. And so whenever he's doing this bizarre stuff, they're thinking, what's going on? And so this one young lady got very disturbed by it and went back and found one of her friends who was in the back. And she asked her friend, could you hear what he was saying? And she said, no. She said, but, she said, I was watching him do that. And she said, I had, and these are Christian young ladies. She, she said, I had the creepiest feeling come over me that it was like an antichrist right there. And this other girl that came back to find her said, yeah, that's what I felt too. Not that he is the Antichrist. I don't believe he is by any means. But it was an Antichrist spirit that was behind it. But this is an example of a false prophet. Anybody that would try to take you away from Jesus Christ, try to take you away from his word, is a false prophet. And there really are some wolves in sheep's clothing that are out there. They're preying on the body of Christ. This emergent church is primarily made up of people that are rebelling against the norm. They don't want to submit to pastoral authority. They don't want to go to a church. And a lot of what they consider to be church services is them sitting at a Starbucks, sipping on a latte, talking amongst themselves. And they don't believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God, so they, they read it along with many other writings and dialogue, and that's what they consider to be church. And some of their actual worship services are getting weirder and weirder. There are even some counterfeit revival movements. Believe it or not, these movements, please hear me, they embrace profanity, tattoos and piercings, and worldliness, calling it freedom in the Holy Spirit. They treat the Holy Spirit as drugs, created pictures of Jesus giving... Listen, they've created pictures on t-shirts and hats that they wear and they sell on their website of Jesus Christ giving people the finger. They themselves believe you can give God the finger. They believe, and the reason why they get all this stuff, and you think, how can anybody get this off? Because they believe. Well, here's their philosophy. The only reason the finger or these words are evil is because man has made them evil. So we're breaking free from all that, and we're just going to use the F word all the time, and to us it's not evil. And um, one young lady, Sandy and I saw this on YouTube, she started crying, she's much more sensitive than me about things like that. But anyway, she was sitting there, both middle fingers up, speaking in tongues. Remember that? Yeah. They're into mysticism. They're really big on that word mysticism. Very big on that word. But they treat the Holy Spirit as drugs. They're carrying around a little lamb like you'd buy at a toy store or something. You know, like you get the little farm animals. They carry around a little lamb. They call him the Lamb of God. And they sit around smoking on that, acting like they're getting drunk. Or high, rather. I'm sorry. Friend, that's bizarre. Okay, Let's be real. But they believe in mysticism and they're very big on stigmatas. What stigmatas is, it's a Catholic thing. There are people that have worshipped graven images 
And while they were worshiping graven images, some power hit them, and they began to have stigmatas, where they would have the wounds of Christ appear on their hands, and they would bleed, and they wouldn't heal. And so these people believe that as you, you know, they would wrap it up or whatever, but they believe now that they have these stigmatas, that they have more healing power than the next guy. So people would go to them so that they could lay their stigmata on them and pray for them to be healed. That's what a stigmata is. And these, revi- these counterfeit revival movements are embracing stigmatas. They live on some supposed constant Holy Spirit high 24-7, which I do believe you can be filled with the Spirit every day, but the way they're going about it is, is bizarre. The fruit speaks for itself that it is not a true movement of the Holy Spirit. Now, these are people that have been touched by God, I believe, in the past, and I love them in the Lord. But you've got to come under authority. And any church that has any type of common sense is going to be telling them to quit going around dropping F-bombs and quit flipping God off and quit going around speaking in tongues with their finger up in the air and quit going around smoking the little Lamb of God and acting like they're getting filled with the Spirit and doing all this weird stuff. But see, there's a rebellious spirit in some of these people. They don't want to come under authority. They don't want to come under good solid biblical teaching and pastoral authority and submit under that. And because of that, they've gotten way out there. And as I mentioned earlier, this last couple of things, the UFO movement has gained tremendous ground. Many more people believe that there's advanced civilizations in outer space. They believe these beings are coming to save us. And the doctrine of these beings, because these occultists believe that they channel these aliens. They're sitting there, they go into their little trance, and now something's talking through them, and it claims to be an alien. Well, what's the alien teaching them? The doctrine of these so-called aliens downplays Christianity. It downplays Jesus Christ. It downplays the validity of God's Word. And it is nothing more than demonic activity. That's all it is. They also teach that these so-called aliens are teaching that there are those on planet earth that will have to be removed for the betterment of humanity. Another thing that's going on, and this is what I close with, there's a lot more paranormal activity as well. These are people that are having hauntings and different things in a house or a building or in their own life, and supposedly dead Uncle Charlie has come to talk to him and all this stuff, weird stuff going on in this house. What's happening is there's been great deception that Satan has released through the occult, trying to promote reincarnation, communicating with the dead, apparitions in houses. Why is Satan doing all this? Because for the Bible to be true, that means that people, when they die, go to heaven or hell. So these demons are impersonating people and appearing to people. Why? Because then people believe in reincarnation. You see what I'm saying? And they don't believe any longer in the Bible. They believe in reincarnation. And not only that, but these beings are telling people really weird stuff that they're believing. So let me just go down to the coexist symbol. If you look at this coexist symbol, this is really getting popular. This is probably going to be the symbol of the whore of Babylon, if it's not already. And what it is, you see Islam, you see witchcraft, science, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, or really Taoism and all the you know, Eastern 
philosophies there with the yin and the yang. And then you see Christianity, and it's saying that we all need to come together. But Jesus said, everybody say, but Jesus said. (laughs) He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but by me. That's it. So this sermon exposed a lot of weird stuff going on out there, didn't it? There's some bizarre things, friend. And I'm telling you to be careful because even among revival circles, there's some weirdness out there that's not the Holy Ghost. And there's a lot of different movements of the devil going on right now that's setting stage for the rise of the Antichrist. And I'm trying to just be one voice of many out there crying out saying, listen, don't listen to these false teachers that are trying to take you away from the simplicity of your devotion to Jesus Christ. He's the only way to heaven. Don't listen to these false teachers that are trying to get you away from the Bible. Don't listen to these false prophets that are trying to tell you that, you know, Jesus and and Judaism and Islam and all of that is true and it's all the same way to God and all. That's a false prophet. That's a liar. That is not true. And God is wanting us to be aware of what's going on, have our eyes wide open. And know what's going on around us. Now think about that whole Lord Maitra thing. Where that guy was channeling that demon that was trying to mind control people. I believe with all my heart that when the Antichrist arises to power and starts talking on television. That people all over the world are going to be watching television and they're just going to go into some kind of a trance. And they're just going to take in everything he says. The only way people will be able to withstand that level of evil power is by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit who will seal us and keep us. But we've got to have more faith in God to keep us than the devil to deceive you. As Jesus said, the very elect would be deceived if that were possible, but it's not possible. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit is in you to keep you. And He'll keep you. So, Lord, I thank you for this sermon tonight. It was not the easiest sermon to preach. But, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to share this. And, Lord, we pray for those that out there that are deceived. There there are Christian leaders, Lord, that are trying to take people away from Jesus. And they've gotten off somewhere. Lord, we pray for them that you'll get a hold of them. And draw them back to Christ. And Lord, not only will they repent and get right with you, but Lord, they'll publicly recant their false teachings. Lord, we pray for people that have been like false prophets that are trying to take people away from Jesus. And Lord, we pray that you would get a hold of them and they'll come to know you and turn people to you instead of away from you. And Lord, we pray for the body of Christ. Lord, that you'll get a hold of people that sit in church pews, that week in and week out are living in sinful lifestyles, having affairs on their spouse, they're getting drunk, you know, they're embezzling money, they're in sin, they're away from you, but they go to church and they're playing the game. But Lord, all the while, they're on their way to hell. Lord, we ask you, by the awesome power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you will get a hold of them and draw them unto you. 
where churches may not want the conviction of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we ask you that you would invade their lives with the conviction of the Holy Spirit and draw them unto you. And Lord, I pray in the body of Christ overall that you would raise up those that will reestablish, Lord, the ancient boundary stones, that Jesus is the only way, the Word of God is the truth, and that will reestablish boundary stones for us to walk in that way. As the Bible says, you know, there's the path of the righteous. And we need to be on that path. And Lord, we ask you for that grace in the mighty name of Jesus. Let it be released.